Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I hope you're all doing well. Well, my guest today is Hannah Rudd. She's a marine biologist and writer based in Suffolk. She's worked all over the world, particularly with sharks. She's also the policy and advocacy manager for the Anglin Trust, and she's a co-founder of their initiative Shark Hub UK. We're also going to be talking about her first book, Britain's Living Seas, which is a collaboration with the Wildlife Trusts, and Bloomsbury Publishing, which is out now. Also, a bit of a side note, I am actually writing a book with Bloomsbury myself, so I haven't written a book for a number of years. I can't really say much more than that. I'll uh, reveal more of that later down the line. So I'm quite excited to uh, dust off the pen and try and scribble off some words again. Before we get into today's podcast, let's go to buymeacoffee.com. Buymeacoffee.com is a way for you to support the podcast. Seeing as we don't have any sponsors, this is the only way that I can make money from the podcast. And that money then goes back into buying equipment, traveling to go meet guests, etc, etc. So anything that you can donate is greatly appreciated. Now we set ourselves a target of £500 to get some new microphones. And I can confirm we have now reached that. So I'm absolutely ecstatic with that. What we normally do is when you donate, you can leave a comment and we read the comments out. So I'm just going to read out the names of a few people that have donated. Uh, Robert Fletcher bought three coffees. He put well done. Cheers, Robert. We got John who bought a couple of coffees. He's put more good stuff and again. And then Kevin Chamberlain also bought a coffee. So thanks for those guys for just pushing it over the edge and getting to the £500 target. We're now looking to get £1,000, <laughs> which I know you're thinking, bloody old Jack, how much money do you want? Uh, what that is for... I'm really enjoying meeting guests. I think that you get such a different quality when you're in person with the guest. Obviously, these people live all over the country. So for enable me to do that, I need to get some money for that. So we're now looking to raise a thousand pounds from from now. We've got one percent of it so far. And then that money is going to go towards meeting guests because I think Zoom's great and sometimes Zoom is practical, but actually being there works so so well. I will also do a quick note. I, many of you might know that I do talks. And I was at a talk the other night and someone came up to me and said, I couldn't work buymeacoffee.com, but here's some money towards your microphone. And I wondered, did anyone else have that issue? Are you wanting to donate money, but you can't navigate buymeacoffee.com? If that is the case, let me know. And I might very well find a different solution. But this was from uh, Kath from Derbyshire. And she put, thanks, Jack for keeping me sane during lockdown. Keep up the good work with the podcast. And that was in a, in the old-fashioned uh, greetings card. So thanks for that, Kath. That was lovely to meet you. So yeah, if you are having trouble with it, let me know. But yeah, we're trying to raise money for that so that we can do podcasts much like today's episode, which was meeting Hannah Rudd, which is a great name for someone who works with fish, because we got to meet in person in Peterborough and talk about her work. So let's get on with our chat with Hannah. Well, good morning. I suppose it might not be morning when you're listening to this, but it's morning where I am. And that is Ferry Meadows in Peterborough. And it is 
incredibly frosty. There is the most spectacular hoarfrost here today. It is absolutely everywhere. It's something you'd maybe expect more in the Scottish Highlands than in Peterborough. And I'm here today, try not to fall over a slippy slope, because I'm meeting up with uh, Hannah Rudd, who's a marine scientist. And Ferry Meadows in Peterborough is roughly about in the middle from where both of us live. I am somewhat regretting <laughs> coming here today. It might be a little bit warmer if we'd done this via Zoom. However, the views are spectacular. It's an most amazing wintry frost. It's January at the minute. And I'm just looking out over the lake. There's seams of cormorants in these wintry trees. There are black-headed gulls sitting on the ice. And I did just hear a water rail, though it's obviously stopped singing now that I'm recording. So Hannah's running a little bit late, which is absolutely fine. There's worse places to be in the world, but when Hannah gets here, we will get started and have a good old waffle about marine life. So welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Thank you. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. We are sat on a bench in Peterborough yes, because that's roughly in between where both of us live. And uh, it's quite a frosty, although actually a lot of the frost is melting now. This, the bench that we're on is a soggy bench and uh, it's all melting a little bit, but it's still a very pretty morning, mm. I would say. Nice and easy out of the ballpark. Threats to our oceans, or ocean, as I should say, as we were talking uh, just before the podcast. Threats to kind of UK seas. What are we, uh, what are we looking at? Well, I think there's a, a mixture of threats. I think when you're dealing with an environment as dynamic as the ocean, you can't view things in isolation because yeah. everything feeds back off of each other. Um, but the big three are pollution, so that's things like plastics, chemical pollution, sewage pollution, overfishing. We can't, you know, it's an elephant in a room. It makes people feel very uncomfortable, but commercial overfishing is a huge threat to our seas. And climate change increasingly as well is yeah. a big issue. But, but kind of another issue that will start emerging is things like invasive species as well. Yeah, I suppose people don't talk about that as much as um, climate change and other problems like that. Now that's I forget the exact figure, but it's, like, it's billions that we spend, isn't it, to try and eradicate invasive species? Yeah, more so in, in rivers at the moment in particular, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. in terms of aquatic environments, but increasingly in the ocean as well. Yeah, I wouldn't... I'd, wouldn't think of invasive. I forget. There's a. Is it sargassum weed or there's some sort of weed that we get? Marine seaweed. There's going to be a few invasives, I guess, mm. turning up, isn't there? Which um, which cause issues? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we if we talk looking globally in terms of invasive species, lionfish is one of the, yeah. you know, the most yeah, commonly yeah, yeah. known ones in in the Caribbean, and they have uh, kind of spearfishing tournaments now to see yeah. who can eradicate the most in a season. Um, believe it or not, there was actually a lionfish caught off of Chesil Beach in 2021 by a, by a sea angler. Um, we don't know whether that was an aquarium release or whether oh, it actually did just turn up here. Le- um, legitimately caught it legitimately on hook. So it wasn't, it. and we don't think he, he was hoaxing or anything like it got, wow. No, no, it was sent to CFAS, I think. I don't know where it ended up and, yeah. and what happened, but... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, sea anglers are going to be one of the first people that catch all these sort of weird and wonderful things, yeah, right, that, that turn up. So, yeah, it's it's interesting times out there. Well, with warming seas, I suppose as well, you're going to start seeing more Mediterranean species turning up, aren't you? Like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, like gilthead bream or uh, triggerfish and stuff like that would have been a, a rare occurrence, whereas now they're 
pretty much established, don't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you, you look at the sort of return of apex predators to our waters, I suppose you could call it, um, the bluefin tuna. We're seeing more and more blue sharks, thresher sharks, yeah. you know, poor beagles. And we see you know, science is kind of suggesting at the moment that something has happened in 2015 in terms of oceanic currents or warming we're not quite sure what at the moment but all of our data that we collect at the pat smith database at the moment seems to suggest that there was a turning point in 2015 is that right okay so it wasn't it wasn't necessarily gradual then it was literally something just tipped yes oh i mean that's what the data suggests yeah i mean you never know i I always hate to say yes or no at the moment because we're hypothesizing but we seem to think that that something happened okay then. that's really interesting i didn't uh, i didn't realize that and i suppose you can call it the blue planet 2 effect but plastics are obviously on everyone's minds but i noticed you didn't mention those so do you think plastics are they kind of an overproportional problem or obviously they are a problem but yeah no I, I mean in terms of pollution um plastics is obviously the, a, a huge issue yeah and no as you say i think the blue planet 2 effect has done kind of a remarkable tipping point in terms of individual and community action for conservation in general when you look at how many businesses have followed that that trend in reducing their plastic use but you know it's difficult because you know we we get projects like the ocean cleanup for example and a lot of scientists are very skeptical about that project and whether it's actually doing what it's saying so for example, a lot of the um, plastics that are supposedly removed from the sea have no biofilms on them. You know, they have no microorganisms or you know species that would have um, taken hold of that plastic. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, it kind of sheds a light of scepticism. And I think the most important thing that we can do is actually just reduce our consumption and production of plastic. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the plastic that's in the ocean is going to remain there and it's our job now to just reduce the amount that we produce and our dependency on it. Because I suppose there must be alternatives to it, it's just is it more expensive or just not widely used at the moment? I think, yeah, I mean I'm not a plastics expert. (laughs) I'm putting you on the spot now Hannah, yeah. (laughs) From what I I understand, you know, there's a lot of things we can do to reduce our consumption, so so, you know, we we can um, you know, make sure that we're not buying single-use forks and knives. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Didn't, and weren't they banned recently? They were banned yeah. recently. Yeah, I th- th- don't think it's going to come in for another year or so. Okay, okay. Um, as all these things, they take yeah, ages. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, there's lots of things we can do. So, what should or shouldn't we be eating then? Because obviously, this is a hot topic. And I remember when Sea Spiracy came out on Netflix. Obviously, everyone was talking about it. And you mentioned overfishing as well. I just wonder what your thoughts were on the whole, uh, should we eat fish or should we not? Yeah, I think this is a really hot topic and I think it's a really difficult thing to communicate well. Yeah. And it, it's something that's very divisive, particularly when so many livelihoods depend on it. Yeah. And I think it's, I don't think eating bad, sorry, I don't think eating fish is a bad thing in no. itself. And I don't think fishing is a bad thing in itself. There are just certain gear types or ways of fishing that are particularly more harmful to the environment than others so for example bottom dredging yeah is is you know quite quite harmful whereas hand line caught fish is is much more sustainable and it's the same in terms of, of species you know there's a there's a group called ICES every year and they pr- produce scientific advice in terms of what we should and shouldn't be fishing and how much tonnage that should be and more often than not governments of the world exceed those tonnages by quite you know, a, a remarkable margin and yeah. i think one of the simplest things that we can do is make sure that we follow the science and that those um those landings are within 
within that limit. But in terms of what the average consumer can do, there's, there's plenty of resources out there. So things like the Marine Conservation Society Good Fish Guide is a really good one to look at. Um, but equally, things like the Marine Stewardship Council Eco Label is also really good. I know that that one's a little bit, that there's a lot of <laughs> divisiveness about whether it's actually as sustainable as people are saying okay. it is. But I, I personally think that as a consumer, when you've got all of these other things to worry about, something is better than nothing yeah and making yeah, a start is better than than you know not doing anything at all I and get that. It, it's also important i think just to mention as well that you know there's been loads of scientific research and assessments that show that blue foods so those from the sea whether that's wild fisheries or aquaculture can actually be some of the most sustainable and carbon friendly foods on the planet so yeah. i don't think getting rid of seafood out of our diet is actually an option you know, yeah. it's a really powerful way of providing protein and essential you know, nutrients particularly you know, I think three billion people depend on seafood yeah, around the world yeah. so I completely understand people who wouldn't want to eat fish and that's you know there's also the sentience argument and the welfare argument yeah and that's a different side of the coin but in terms of food production I think there are ways that we can make it more sustainable I suppose in comparison as well like what you've mentioned like to dairy and other but lamb-based stuff it's um it's nowhere near as bad is it yeah i think or different problems i guess different it's, it's problems. difficult it's diff that's a very generalist statement but i think yeah. the problem with the ocean is that it's so out of sight out of mind for so many yeah. people yeah, yeah and yeah. i firmly believe that if some of the fishing practices that took place at sea happened on land there mm. would be public outcry about them yeah so if you had a tractor with a long net behind it and it was going through a field just to collect wheat and in it it took every fox badger bird, insect, you know, whatever with it, I, I don't think we would stand up for that. So why do we think it's okay within the ocean? What, yeah. what is what is a, you know, a suitable level of bycatch for want of a better phrase? You know, scientists know that there is not, you know, we're not going to have uh, no bycatch in all fisheries. That's just, you know, the, the way the cookie crumbles. But what at what point do we say, you know to fishers you have to implement this bycatch mitigation i know it's expensive but we, we don't think it's acceptable that a hundred thousand seabirds are killed in longline fisheries yeah. every year whatever it might be um so it's, it's just a really delicate balance isn't it yeah there's no easy easy answer and you're always <laughs> train pipping as we go it's always always something cocks the trains up agreeing yeah <laughs> yeah that guy is fully on board I mean, it's it's similar with salmon. We're actually doing a salmon farming episode soon, but I feel like if that same thing was with chickens, which I mean, some people would argue it's not far off, but with you know the flesh coming off them mm. and riddled with disease, people wouldn't stand for it. And yet, because it's just a fish in a in a net, people aren't bothered. I completely agree, and I touch on salmon farms a little bit in, in yeah. my book because I think, it, as you say, there is a movement of people starting to realise what's going on in yeah. salmon farms. But, you know, we certainly need to, to make more of a noise about it. And I think this all goes back to, um, you know, the stuff about fish not having really expressions. Um, and we're yeah. just kind of looking at fish as though, I don't know, we just don't categorise them in the same way as we do with mammals and, and you know, birds, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think if we if we did feel that, that empathy towards them, we might um, be more against these things like salmon farms. Again, not to say you can't eat farm salmon, but there are, you know, again, harmful practices alongside it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because whenever I'm trying to push fish on the telly or things like that, it's always like ice skating uphill because it's not furry and feathery and, and cute and cuddly. Uh, and it's the same principle in that people just don't emotionally connect with a fish. Mm -hmm. Well, most people don't. I suppose me and you might be slightly <laughs> different, but see, trains, trains agreeing again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, 
but yeah, a lot a lot of people would struggle to do that. So it is it is trickier to to do that. I'm going to ask you something I always get asked, which is, do you eat fish? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, okay. I eat fish. I eat fish. I eat seafood. Okay. I grew up eating seafood. Yeah. I grew up eating the fish that my dad caught actually. Oh, okay. Um, so he was a sea angler. And, uh, you know, one of the most sustainable ways to eat, eat fish, really. Is, yeah, definitely. You know. And we'll, we'll come on to some of that in a bit, because I know obviously you do work at the Angling Trust as well. But yeah, I, I, people always shock when I say I eat fish. They're like, how could you eat fish? Like, well, I quite like eating fish. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, just, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. No, 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 no. Um, I'm selective in what I eat. I don't eat cod and I don't eat, don't eat salmon, but I'll still... I'll, still eat things that I might occasionally catch or if it's been line caught or whatever and just kind of check it out. Yeah, but I do. And my boyfriend finds it very annoying that I always pull up the good fish guide whenever we're in a <laughs> restaurant and I'll always ask the waitress, do you know where this fish has come yeah. from? And, you know, that type of thing. And I just think you have to, to, to kind of build no, that. I think so. It's responsible to do it. So yeah. no, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that's um, that's a good thing. And that kind of neatly comes on to the next thing, which is what, what can we do as individuals then? If we want to try and help, you know, marine life around British coastlines, what can people do because sometimes it can be quite overwhelming like you're seeing all all these problems and you think well what can one person do to kind of help these these issues abs yeah i completely agree particularly right now when Mm. we're having so many things thrown at us through the cost of living crisis and just you know really trying to survive in this really harsh circumstances particularly you know a lot of the kind of sustainable options are a bit more expensive um so people can you know start to think that that's maybe not part of their lifestyle or maybe it's not accessible to them and I, I firmly believe that if everyone can just do what they can within their own um, you know circumstances so whether that's picking more sustainable seafood or, or not eating seafood at all because they can't make those sustainable choices or whether it's reducing their plastic consumption whether it's walking to work if they can or taking a bike to the gym instead of you know driving that distance or taking public transport when there's not train strikes yeah um, you know and just consuming less as well I think that's one of the big things is you know, we live in such a consumerist society. Look at fast fashion, for example, where there's this constant need for the latest trends. You know, yeah. Actually, the best clothes you have are the ones in your wardrobe. And um, I, I certainly think we can make a huge impact in, in reducing our footprint if we just consumed less of the stuff yeah. that we depend on. So, And that's you know a cheap way of living as well if you're spending less on stuff. Yeah, so of I think that's a, a good way forward. But also, you know, when you're out enjoying the coastline, be a responsible person. You know, if you see some litter, take five minutes to pick a few bits up. Don't disturb marine life. I think that's a really big one, particularly over COVID. You know, we've seen more and more people flock to the coastline, and that's absolutely amazing. Mm. But there's also a lot of cases of animal disturbance, so whether that's seals that are resting on a beach yeah. or you know dolphins that that might be playing in a harbour, for example. You just treat everything with respect and um, you'll, you'll get a lot more out of it. I think that's all sensible and good advice. When you're not writing books on marine life, you also work at the Angling Trust, don't you? I do, yes. So what do you do there? So I'm the Angling Trust uh, Policy and Advocacy Manager. I predominantly lead on recreational sea angling related policy. So that's where my marine science background comes in. Um, and day to day that that can range from um, working on sort of high level policy around fisheries management plans um, but then it can also um, be things like talking to stakeholders so talking to sea anchors on a daily basis about their local patch how can we do things about improving fish welfare how can we get them involved in uh, our anchors against pollution campaign or anchors against litter for example um, and increasingly we're working with sea anglers to collect data so that's where shark hub for example comes in yeah um, glad you mentioned that <laughs> yeah so shark hub is um 
a collaborative partnership um, between recreational sea angling bodies. So we've got the, support, uh, the Shark Fishing Club of the uh, British Isles, um, sorry, Shark Angling Club of Great Britain. I need to get that right. Get it, get it right or we'll get, we'll get angry letters. Yeah, and the, the Sport Fishing Club of the British Isles is also in there. Um, and the Pat Smith database, which is which is part of, of, of this and was started at, at the Shark Club. And then we also have several academic institutions, so University of York, uh, Plymouth Marine Laboratory and, and Bournemouth University at the moment. And we're always looking to add partners as well. And then, of course, the Anking Trust, who's the organisation I'm at. And we really came to this um, kind of idea of, of pulling these parties together um, and treating each other as equals, because more often than not in science, um, and it's not just an issue confined to the angling community, you get this idea of parachute science, where scientists will come in, they'll do their little bits and bobs, and then they'll leave the community, they won't give them any recognition, and they won't provide any feedback on how, you know, what the science showed them and how they can move forward. So. This, is, this partnership is right, really trying to avoid that and, and work together as one to um, really further our understanding of, of sharks around the British Isles, um, empower the angling community to have a voice and to also do things like improvement in fish welfare, for example, because yeah. I, I really think that anglers can be one of the you know, most important conservation stewards. So their eyes and ears for our lakes, our rivers, our, our coasts. Um, and we need to work with them more and, and see them not as enemies but as you know, partners, you know. There's a definite divide, isn't there, I think, at times where it can sort of be us and them. Yeah. Like you say, I don't see why, you know, you talk to most fishermen and they, they've generally got a healthy interest in the natural world. And, that, yeah, they've got so much valuable data, so it's better to get them on side for sure. And like you say, particularly with British sharks, I mean, apart from a handful of people who, who swim with blue sharks, how often are you going to see a poor beagle or a fresh or a mako? It's really... We rely on angling encounters, don't we? For good or for worse, it's one of the ways that we can rely on on data. So, it's interesting to hear you talk about shark fishing as well, because you are, you know, let's face it, obsessed with sharks. You're a big shark fan, aren't you? So, it can be an emotive topic, can't it? Shark fishing, and I just wondered, have practices changed in the UK, or were they? Um, you, you see these old pictures of them hanging up on the dock, or like people bringing them on the boat and hauling them out. Like, what's the state of of UK shark fishing now? Then, is it more? conservation-led is that fair to say? Yeah I, I think you're absolutely right and I think it's fair to say that when I was a, a you know a student at university had you asked me would I be working with shark fishermen I think I would have you know run in the opposite direction and I yeah. think that also shows the importance of being open-minded and listening to communities and, and differences of, of kind of views on the world and different relationships with the sea but certainly you know when you go back to sort of the 1950s you're completely right it was catch and kill tournaments and mm. it was you know stringing up poor beagles thrashers you know blues whatever shark they could get their hands on but i think we've certainly seen a, a shift here in the uk and it's you know particularly in the last decade towards catch and release only fishing um there's increasingly um an, an interest in not inboarding the shark unless it's absolutely paramount for its its welfare yeah um and that's something i'm particularly passionate about is, is leaving the shark in the water you know they they have cartilaginous skeletons they will suffocate over under their own weight because they're yeah. this they have such a gargantuan mass yeah um that unless they're um 
you know, a, a quite a, a smaller shark, you know, it's, it's best to leave it in the water. Is there, I don't know if there's been any studies, is there sort of a weight limit? Is it like if it's over 100 pounds, leave it in or is it not? has it not got that refined? I don't think it's got that refined. No, okay. I think it's more in terms of your own intuition. Okay. You know, so if you've got a taupe that's sort of, you know, 20 pound or something. It'd probably no, be okay. You know, it's absolutely fine, okay. yeah. I'm talking more about, you know, the big blues that are over 100 pounds yeah. and, 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 you know, poor beagles that are 500 pounds yeah, and that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. To be fair, I don't know if I'd want that on the uh, boat with me anyway. No, I know, I know. But some people, yeah, they're, they're adamant that it's going to come on. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, trying to hold it up for a photo, you, you can get a great trophy shot in in the water, yeah, you yeah. know, where where it belongs. And, you know, even things like changing from jade hooks to circle hooks, because the research has, has suggested that circle hooks are, you know, a lot better. That, that's another thing that, that's happening but equally you know there's been a lot of studies in the United States for example looking at these species that suggest that post-release mortality is actually really low you know that, that they have really good survivability these species um, if it's catch and release angling so you know it, it's there will be cases potentially that where, where they do pass away but I think that when we're looking at the mortality rates within commercial fisheries that you know that they're, they're worlds apart yeah I, I really think that the recreational angling community here in the UK has more uh, to give in terms of conservation than, than it does in terms of impact yeah I think that's good I was going to ask you about mortality survival so I'm glad you brought that up so that's interesting to hear and like you say although there might be one or two that don't make it the data that we're then collecting is, is invaluable really isn't it I remember it was only a couple of weeks ago and you might have seen this somebody tagged a poor beagle I think it was in southern England, and it ended up in Norway. And they got that, you know, that data because every time it would come to the surface, it would ping. I mean, that's an, an astonishing amount of distance for an animal to travel. But we wouldn't have known that had that not been caught and, and tagged. So there's incredible data and growth rates and things like that that you can get from it, which without fishing for them, although it's you know uh, five minutes out of its day, which isn't ideal, it goes back and we're getting all this information and, and data from it. Yeah, and the, the thing I always, you know, I've been lucky. <laughs> Our mate's back. Oh, the train's back. <laughs> I, I've, I've been lucky to, to study sharks in, in other parts of the world, and the methodology is always angling. Yeah. You know, even if you're just a scientific team, you catch the sharks, you, you take your measurements, you tag them, you release them. That's the protocol. And I think actually working with a community that has more knowledge and expertise in doing that is actually better for the shark's welfare. Yeah. You know, I'm not a shark angler. You know, me going out and trying to capture a blue shark, I don't know what I'm doing. No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I think um, working with that community is, is a lot better. And as you say, the information we can get is invaluable, whether that's areas like their breeding grounds, you know, pupping grounds. You know, we've seen anglers say they're seeing mating scars on some of these species more and more, okay. which is so exciting. Yeah, you know, course. what are they using our waters for? Where are they going when they leave? Is is the southwest of England a global hotspot for shark, you know, pupping that yeah. that could have global significance? You know, we, we 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 can't forget that when many of these species leave our waters, they enter the high seas, an area where there are many, many pelagic trawlers yeah. and long lines looking to, to capture them. So the, the data that we can collect from them whilst they're here is is really you know of huge international significance. Yeah. How how many species of shark have we got in the UK? We have, I believe, around forty. Okay. I think twenty three are migratory and eleven okay. are deep sea. Oh yeah, okay. Have you got a favourite? 
Ah, it's like trying to choose my children. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, I, I think don't ev- have, but. if every parent is listening, they they all have a favourite kid. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> I think for ages it was great whites because everyone loves yeah, a great everyone white, loves a great but, white. Um, I think now it, it is um, the Thresher Shark. I, oh, okay, I think you've seen one. I haven't seen one. No. I've seen one jump, but oh. I, I I guess like I haven't seen it up close. It was no. really far away. Okay, and that's still cool though. Just, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Where was that? Where did you see um, that? That was off of Penzance. Penzance. Okay. Yeah. Um, That'd be pretty but epic. Yeah, they're they're amazing, and they're here in the UK. Yeah. I mean, you know, people think of going to the Philippines to dive with thresher sharks and. Yeah, we, we don't know much about the threshers. They're very elusive, and I think that's one of the reasons why I find them so interesting. Yeah. Because they're just so guarded with their secrets. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the Solon is, is home to thresher sharks. That's meant to be like the capital, isn't it, of the UK? I don't know, because not many... Well, not many get reported anyway. I don't know how many get caught a year, but it's not many, is it's it? It's not many. No. no. I mean, there's a there's an angling club in the Isle of Wight that is specialist in this and they're really one of the front leaders in terms of welfare and, yeah. and kind of bettering shark angling practices and, and even they only catch a few every year. I always think it's a bit of a self-fulfilling pros- uh, prophecy as well though like if you're not targeting them you're not you're unlikely to get them so I suppose it's because not many people are looking for them mm-hmm. that's why we don't get as many as well i'm yeah. not saying that the sea's full of freshers yeah i'm yeah, just yeah. saying that like no, if not many people are trying you're not going to get them are no you? no no that's it's, it's so true and yeah. that you know that that's that feeds into the idea that you know people think they're going to go into shark infested waters and it's like <laughs> you know i've sat on boats for hours throwing bait into the water yeah. and one doesn't turn up no so, exactly you know the idea that our seas are brimming with sharks you know when i did the media run last year when there was that unfortunate you know incident with the blue shark yes of course so yeah. many people were saying, oh, I can't go to Cornwall on my holiday now. Yeah. There's going to be, you know, these man-eating... Sh- no, guys. It's like three it's, miles out, wasn't it, or it, something? Or, I thought, yeah, I think... Or 20, no, might I thought be it more. was more like 30 It might be 30 out, then, sorry, which, yeah. yeah. Mr. Zero, okay. Um, <laughs> I think it was, yeah. yeah, it was on a snorkelling excursion, so yeah. it would have been a way offshore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, you know, it was funny, though, because the week later... Uh, uh, a blue shark did come in shore I saw was... that yes yeah. I did see that so almost like all the sign don't worry we're never going to see a blue shark oh bugger there's one literally <laughs> so yeah I went on national television the week before saying you will never see one in shore <laughs> and I was like guys I'm trying to help you yeah like... <laughs> career in tatters after that oh. you mentioned great white I mean we've already we have actually already done a podcast on this so if people want to go back they can listen to it but about the possibility of great whites in the UK what's your th- what's your thoughts so there is actually a research team called O-Search coming here this year mm. and they're highly controversial and I'm not going to go into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> they okay. have really interesting practices in terms... They've got a shed load of money. Okay. They're sponsored by people like SeaWorld and, um, ah. but they have some really interesting practices that I, I don't feel quite comfortable with. But anyway, okay. they're coming here next year. Yeah, well, this year, 2023 to find great white sharks and they seem to think they're going to find them around the Shetland Islands in between the Celtic deeps or around Cornwall okay um, before venturing off to the Mediterranean where I think actually they're going they're to have def- a lot better chance they definitely are in the med aren't they yeah yeah yeah. I mean in terms of you know we've got enough we've got a big enough seal population to sustain them yeah I think you know the water temperature is about right but I really believe that we have some of the busiest seas in the world you know, mm. certainly in Europe and if they were if there was one here it would come up in a trawl by now we would have seen it you know a okay. seal bite so I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility in terms of the environment mm. but I'm just highly skeptical that they are actually here and I think going to places like Sicily and Tunisia and Libya where we know they're by caught 
you know, every every so often, yeah, that's the better better chance of, of where you actually find them. Yeah, I think my my thoughts were that if we do get them, they're a very occasional mic. They're not. I don't think they're year round. I think it's probably a very occasional migrant if we get the odd one. But yeah. Yeah, I think the I, I agree. I mean, there's no reason why one couldn't get lost across, you know, the Mid Atlantic Ridge, or yeah. you know, maybe I don't I don't think one would come out through the Strait of Gibraltar. But you know, as you say, every now and then maybe one yeah. comes. But I don't think. Well, there was one caught off France, wasn't there? Um, I think it was in the 70s, and it was something like. 200 I'm gonna, I'm, I might get my figures wrong here so don't quote me on it but something like 230 nautical miles which for a great white it's not a lot it could do you know so yeah. I'm sounding like a conspiracy theorist now but um. no I mean <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time yeah to see one definitely and I, I'm probably gonna like this summer we'll probably see one and I'll listen to this podcast and look like an idiot but, <laughs> yeah I, like, uh, sharks don't come close in they come close in there's no yeah. great whites oh there's great whites yeah can you imagine like <laughs> cage diving off Lundy Island or something <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I went, I did a basking shot Scotland a couple of years ago, and we didn't get any basking shots unfortunately, which I was gutted about. But we were swimming around a seal colony, and I was just bobbing around. There were seals around me, and there was kelp, and I just was thinking, this could be California, couldn't it? And like, <laughs> you know, if one, of, if something came up and got, there's, there's that human instinct, isn't there? I think you know when you're in deep water, you can't. Even though the rational part of your brain is like. You're absolutely fine. Nothing's going to happen. But there is always that kind of primordial part of your brain, which is like, there's probably something looking at you down there, you know? <laughs> no, I totally agree. You know, even, um, you know, for me, kind of swimming around the, the kelp forest in South Africa, mm. even though we knew white sharks hadn't, you know, haven't been in Cape Town for quite a long time now yeah, because cool. of the orcas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's still that part of you thinking, well, what if there is one? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, you never know. I suppose the reassuring thing is there's not a lot you can do. <laughs> no, there isn't. There isn't a lot you can do. And, you know, there are there are um, you know, plenty of people that do free dive with them. And, yeah. you know, I wouldn't... I think you'd be scared, but I don't think it's necessarily the end of the road. No, <laughs> if you see one, no, I know you what know. you mean. I know what you mean. I've definitely. seen so, uh, I've seen loads of footage of them on scuba as well, where people are, uh, you know, just chilling on their safety stop, and then all of a sudden a great white. It would wake you up, wouldn't it? It would yeah. wake you up a little bit. I would love to do that though. That is high on my bucket list. What, swim with a great white? You'd, yeah. you'd go for it, would you? For sure. Really? Yeah. The, the the kind of the, the circumstances would have to be right. It would it had to be the right shark. Which okay. If if yeah, you'd you'd have to observe it in the water first and, and check that it was behaving yeah. as you would expect it to. Um, and the water conditions would have to be right and all that type of stuff. I've got friends that are experts in that, so I would very much lean on their kind of expertise. <laughs> but yeah, if I had that opportunity I would definitely, definitely do it. I think I'd shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, from the boat, I, it, definitely great whites are up there. They're a bucket list species. I want to see one, but from a from a boat, I think maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people are like when I when I because I used to I volunteered on a cage diving boat for a long time, and um, yeah, a lot of people were not as excited as I thought they would be really? by great whites. Oh yeah. man, apex yeah. predator. You'd have to get pretty pretty excited by that do, do you fish yourself so you work for the angling trust and whatnot yeah so i um i grew up with my dad uh, sea angling so i always have a bit of a dabble i wouldn't yeah. say I, I go um you know every weekend no, without fail, no, no, no but if there's a rod around I'll, yeah i'll have a little go yeah, yeah. definitely. oh nice i i try i'd like to fish more than i do it's just work seems to get in the way but it's almost like a weird like um escape even though my job is normally revolved about fish anyway it's just nice to leave the camera at home and take a rod out and have 
you know a couple of hours or something like that so I do occasionally yeah I think it's great fun you know you never know what you're gonna get it's 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 the patience the waiting game I'm not so good at (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the trick isn't it yeah Um, but you know I went out uh, with one of the loose skippers in September last year and it was so much more than fishing mm. you know um we, we saw a pod of pilot whales we saw oh, wow. know, five to six minke whales you know harbor oh, awesome. porpoises sunfish what else did we see we saw gray seals on the way back in um rizzo's dolphins they're the ah. ones that we saw as well uh bluefin tuna uh, like, honestly it Bucket was list. like the whole ocean was alive yeah and it's happening here in the uk yeah I think people don't realise, like, my, my wife's really keen to go whale watching. And she's like, where can we go? It's like, well, we could do it here. You know, if we choose the right time of year and, and the right place, there's a there's a pretty good chance. It's, you know, minkies and stuff like that mm. at the very least. Yeah, Cardigan Bay is a great place yeah, to go. Yeah, is that right? You know, or go up to Scotland, try and get your eyes on the orcas up there. Yeah, well, I've seen, I've seen the orcas in Shetland. I'm going to Shetland, actually, in July for them again. Okay. So, um but not with my wife, but um, just to make her jealous. But <laughs> I would, um, yeah, I would like to get get some for her because it would be would be awesome to see. She wants mm. to see she has a proper whale, like yeah. like a, a minke or a, a humpback or something like. That. I know, although humpbacks are showing more often now, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're not, I'm not. I don't know if you'd call them common, but like they're turning up around the UK a little bit more now, aren't they? Yeah, I think there's been a, a handful of sightings in the lot, particularly around Cornwall. Yeah. Um, in you know the last few years, but fin whales is another species we get yeah. here. It's second largest whale on the planet, I think. Yeah, it they is. are. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Ireland is considered one of the hotspots for them. Is so, that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, I think yeah. Ireland gets them quite regularly. Um, so yeah, I think you know there's plenty of opportunities to go whale watching here. Yeah, it's worth a go, isn't it? For sure. Um, have you always wanted to work with marine life? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think <laughs> I think that's fair to say. I think. Um, yeah. You, how can you not be inspired? You know, watching the kind of the ocean documentaries and I was always glued to the television as mm. a kid or you know, reading books obviously before social media came out I had those I'm, <laughs> what, still, then what? I'm, still, I'm still one of those kids I'm not that young <laughs> um, so I still had all the you know the textbooks and everything um, that I would just you know go through again and again and I loved aquarium visits and, yeah but I, I think it's fair to say that when I was younger marine biology was still this kind of I suppose it was like being an actor or an actress or a singer (laughs) like it was something every kid said that they wanted to do but not many people knew how to actually do it and even my own careers advisor was a bit like I'm not really sure what you can do to get in this field and I didn't come from a family that had ever you know both my parents left school at 16 so you know we didn't know what to do so there was like a good couple of years where i thought you know what it's fine it was a pipe dream i'll just go into sort of management or accounting or something <laughs> and be really deeply unhappy for the rest of my life and and then i just um i watched a, a shark week documentary and i saw for the first time ever a woman on it um it's <laughs> alison towner who's a, a lady from uh, manchester based in south africa and I thought, you know what, if she can do it, so can I. So I booked one of these, I've worked countless jobs in like River Island and whatever to <laughs> save up money. I went to South Africa and I, I met this community of women in marine science that are never represented on television, ever really. And I thought, you know what, let's give it a go. And that yeah. was kind of the rest was sort of history, so to speak. I just managed to keep networking and studying and, and kind of finding my feet. But um, yeah, it's it's something I've always wanted to do, but it's certainly not an easy thing to get into. I think probably no. more so now. There's more sort of a doggy is doing. We've got us. a Labrador. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's always the uh, trouble with doing these in a, in a park that we've got a 
<laughs> oh good, I think he was about to have a, have a crap then, so we've just uh, luckily <laughs> luckily avoided that. Um, <laughs> yeah, bless him. I Sorry, we're, we're trying, I, I'm, I, I, yeah, if any, cats not so much, but dogs, I'm, I'm a big fan of dogs, yeah. I do love my dogs. So. I have a German Shepherd, so I'm a bit. Oh, I used to have a German Shepherd, I've got two sausage dogs now, which is a bit, a bit of a step down, but yeah. um, I used to love German Shepherds. Yeah. I nearly brought my dogs with me today but they would moan about being in the cold. They they hate it, they don't like it, so <laughs> I thought it's just easier to leave them at home. But yeah, so you, you it's one of those things, you're mentioning your career, and it is it is a hard one, isn't it? Like, how, how do you... I suppose you can study to be a marine biologist, but how do you convert that to cash, basically? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky, and there's this... I don't know if it's so much of a problem now, but when I was um, studying, there was this push for pay to get experience. Right. And I think that hugely... Oh, what, the person's... You paying pay- to volunteer yeah, yeah yeah oh right oh no so, so and that that would be like advertised as the way in yeah because right? you need experience to get a job right yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah. enough to have a degree anymore unfortunately and, and even then it's not just enough to have a normal degree normally you need a master's now or you know a phd yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um so i you know i was desperate to get in the field and under the impression that i needed one of these things so i worked like four or five different jobs during my master's degree just to be able to afford to do these programs and unfortunately you pay a lot and you don't get much in return and you think when you do other than really washing wetsuits and you think <laughs> pissy wetsuits pissy wetsuits <laughs> going on a boat every now and then when they don't have paying clients yeah and the rest of it's a glorified holiday mm. and um you think that you're getting this scientific training everything until you actually go to like a scientific interview and trains joining us yeah it likes absolute it. in agreement yeah, from the train. yeah, yeah. and then they they, they the, the kind of interviewer says to you i'm really sorry but you've not got the experience that you think you paid for you yeah know? so i i really think that actually if you're going to volunteer do it at your local wildlife trust or do it at you know orca foundation for example does um a great course in marine mammal surveying uh, where you can go on the ferries that go between here and bay of biscay that's and yeah i've heard about that yeah europe. i know people who do that i haven't yeah. done it myself but you know looking back now i'd much i would have got a lot more experience doing something like that or yeah. kind of the british divers you know marine life rescue you know those types of things i think are a lot better than feeling like you have to go to the other side of the world um yeah i just i think there's a huge issue with um like it's a privilege in some ways to be in this field and it's much like the, the kind of sustainable choices in many ways are a privilege so yeah it's it, we, we just need to pull people up with us i think no <laughs> no i i completely feel your pain because i i slightly different but with in terms of people giving their images away for free and mm. they just think well that's the normal like you've got to exposure is the thing i fucking hate that uh, expression when people are like you've got to you've got to get some exposure like well you can't eat exposure it's no um it's no good for you i think it's true I yeah think, and uh, you know when i was freelancing as a student you know so many people would want me to write for free mm. and at the time when you're like 20 you're like okay fine yeah yeah you don't know any better you don't you know. know any better and you're literally like just you're like, oh, I really want to write for a living. You're like, so you just do it. Yeah. And then, as you say, you get a little bit older and you've got bills to pay and you're like, well, yeah. I can't just go here and do this and pay for me to go. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. If you exa- want me there, you yeah. need to pay for me. No, even exactly. if it's just expenses coming. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's, it's really difficult. And people always play the, oh, but you do it because you like the natural world and you want more people. And absolutely I do. But as you say... It doesn't pay the bills. No, you've got to eat, haven't you, Hannah? Yeah, you know, you've got, got to keep eat. the lights on. <laughs> yeah. I can't do what I do if I don't have food in my belly. Exactly. And, you know, house over exactly. My head, so, yeah. yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Well, anyway, 
let's uh, draw it to a close with the book. So it's available now. Mm-hmm. It's as of, well, as of recording, it's available. When this comes out, it'll also be available. If people want to buy Britain's Living Seas, where's the best place to go? They can go to the Bloomsbury website direct or they can go to bookshop.org, I think it is. And okay. it will show you all your local bookshops that you, that you can buy it from. It's also available from places like Waterstones okay. um, and other online retailers that I don't want to promote. <laughs> <laughs> wink, 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 yeah, wink, yeah, you know I've, what I'm yeah, talking about. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah, shop local if you can, yeah. that's the best way. Awesome. Well, look, thanks for sitting with me on a cold bench in Peterborough. No <laughs> it's worries. been absolute because we've been waffling for... Uh, a few years now so it's good to actually finally meet you and, and have yeah. a chat but yeah no it's been it's been great so i can't even speak it's so cold <laughs> your lips are going blue uh, you can't talk <laughs> yeah if, I, if my brain is like not computed today i really apologize to your listeners and they're listening and they're like what is she going on about it's because i'm cold guys <laughs> should we go get a, a hot drink or something i think so i think All that right. would be great cheers, cheers. That was Hannah Rudd. She is so enthusiastic about the subject of marine life and particularly sharks. Like we had a good waffle after the podcast as well about them. It really shines through. And it's one of the fantastic things I've enjoyed about doing the podcast is that I'm getting to meet people who you sort of know online, but you don't often get an opportunity to meet in person. So it is nice meeting those those people. Now, if you've been intrigued by this conversation and you would like to buy a copy of Hannah's book, Britain's Living Seas, there is a link in the description. But as we said in the podcast, most bookshops should have it also. Now, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, one of the things you can do is leave a review. We're desperate for reviews. So whether it's on whether it's on iTunes, Amazon, wherever you listen to your podcast, if there is a facility to leave a review, that is greatly appreciated. It helps us in the rankings. So if you can do that, great. You can also follow us on social media at TitBearded and at Facebook, the Bearded Tits Podcast. And over on Instagram, it's Fish Twitcher. Next week, we've got an interesting one. I mean, they're always interesting, but this is an interesting one. And we've got Luke Butlon. Now, he manages a thousand acres of land in the East Midlands. And as part of that job, he has to control deer numbers. Now, I know this is potentially a divisive topic, but I'm actually going to be going out with Luke while he's trying to shoot deer, uh, really to talk about the complex issues of deer management in the UK, what species we have, why they're a problem, or perceived problem anyway, and talk about all this sort of stuff with shooting deer. So it's going to be an interesting one. I've never, well, I mean, I'm not going to shoot the deer, but I've never been around someone who shot a deer before. So it's going to be quite interesting to see the process and also talk a little bit about why why it needs to be done. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>